So today on Indie Thinker, supposedly a pastor assaults a protester outside of his church. We'll show yet another sign of the craziness of our age. Chuck Schumer tips his hand by trying to overrule the Supreme Court before they can even decide upon Roe v. Wade by implementing some political theater and proposing a bill that would secure the right to abort a baby up to nine months. And I would just say, why stop there, Chuck? Let's go up to 30 months. I mean, two-year-olds are real pain. Uh, anyway, and then we'll talk about protesters flipping the script and showing up at Nancy Pelosi's house. We'll see how she likes that. And then we'll also talk about Eric Metaxas. He has some words for prominent church leader Russell Moore about culture war Christians. We'll talk about all that and more on today's show. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Sharing is caring. If you truly love your neighbor, you will do them a solid and you will love them enough to share great content like this with them today. Now, before we jump into the show, I wanted to just share something that I was thinking about that we spend a lot of time, and, and even I am, am guilty of this, spending a lot of time talking about what is going on. Uh, but, but also too, I think one of the things that is unique about this show is that I talk about the why, the why behind the what. So we talk about the what, but really, at least it's my intention to always talk about why. So for instance, uh, at least in the kind of Christian apologetic world where we're giving defense for the faith, we, we talk often about the existence of the universe. So we talk about how it came into existence, but we spend sparingly little time talking about why the universe even exists in the first place. And I think in the why is, is a beautiful uh, is a beautiful, important point, because if we don't know the why, we don't even know why we exist in the first place. We can define and explain how the universe exists and how things happen in this universe, but we can't explain why it's there or why we even exist in the universe. And the reason I bring this up is that um, that's probably one of the most fundamental, and I think simple if you take the time to think about it, questions on the planet is, is why. Not why does the universe exist, but more importantly, why do you exist? Why are you here? Do human beings have value and meaning? And if you can answer those fundamental life questions, you will find yourself finding the answer to all of the other sub-questions. So we're gonna dig into some stories today, but it's my hope through the midst of digging into all those stories that you will hear when the why pokes through, because I try to offer that. Is, is Why is it important to talk about these things and why is it important to think about these things in a particular way? So you'll hear that uh, as we dig into our headlines today. Before we get there, I wanna make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by Element Funding and the Kevin Blair Team. So you can go over and check them out right now at kevinblairteam.com if you have any mortgage needs. If you're looking to refinance or you're looking to purchase a brand new home, I've already told you guys last time that the interest rates this year will go up at least seven more times and they've already gone up. My wife and I about a about a month ago went to go in and purchase some land and uh, from about a week's time uh, from the time that we started the process to the point where we fixed our interest rate. Uh, the, the interest rates went up half of a point. So already that's about $60 every single month. So if you are a person who budgets, if you're a person who, person who cares about your personal finances, you need to go to kevinblairteam.com right now and secure a low interest rates before they continue to go up. And again, they will be going up before the end of the year. So do that right now, kevinblairteam.com, where they will secure not only a free pre-approval, but also assure you 
a great interest rate and great customer service. And when you go over there, make sure to let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So recently, a viral video of a pastor supposedly attacking a person outside of his church was uploaded to a YouTube account called Audit the Audit. Now, I don't know this channel well, but in digging through this, I found that this channel kind of serves as a police accountability channel, but really it could be, you know, uh, a poop stirring channel considered by some, maybe not me per se, but a poop stirring channel uh, specifically for the audience of those who missed their Judge Judy reruns. So anyway, this video shows a man standing in front of the church holding a sign and recording people as they drive into the Sunday morning service. He was later arrested and claimed that he had been assaulted by the pastor when the pastor just actually pushed a camera out of his face. So that video was purchased, uploaded to this account, and then, like I said, has gone viral. Now, since I'm commenting on this, I thought it only fair to state what is true for everyone else who has commented on this viral video, but few would actually be honest enough to say. There's room for bias here uh, on my part. Uh, I work at the church in question, uh, and I personally know the pastor in the video, and I even happen to like him. Well, a little bit anyway. So I want to run through some of the clips of the video because I want you to see it yourself, and I believe there's some room for redemption in looking at this. So here is uh, one of the clips from the video that was uploaded. Hey man, how are you today? I'm doing well. What's your name? I'm Darren. I'm, choos I'm choosing not to uh, uh, reveal that at this time. That's okay. I was just want to introduce myself. What can I help you with today, man? Um, just help me get my message out. Help me get my message out. Like, what a dork. I I is there anyone that has ever looked at a dude holding a sign on the side of the road that has ever made a difference? And typically the answer, by the way, is no. So no matter how much air guitar they play on that sign, the signs do not make a difference. So the message on this sign is especially pointless. It reads, the Apostle Paul taught the opposite of what Jesus taught, which a journalist from the Free Times Press called a centuries, like quote, centuries old debate. Now, I bring that up merely because calling this a centuries old debate is, um, is ridiculous. The debate spent on that topic is probably debated amongst Christians uh, as much as which one is the smartest Cardassian. So this sign, is more like the lunacy of a poor unfortunate soul than a debate of any kind. But nonetheless, that's what this uh, reporter said about this protester and the sign that he was holding. So I, I want you to see a little bit more of the altercation here. So the clip continues and here's a little bit more of that. We're causing a, a upright in a scene in front of people, is that? Would you mind if I talk to him? Uh, yeah, you're welcome to talk to him, but you ain't gonna get nowhere. No, no. I mean, I'm ready to have a Bible study. Well, then come on inside and talk to me. Just get your Bible. Let's go open well, it up. Well, I, I, uh, I don't want to play into your hand because well, I know so. what happens when I go in there. Then I become uh, have subject you ever been to in here your, before? your... Yes, you have, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I know exactly who you are, bro. You don't think I remember who you are. So as you can see in the video clip, the pastor is kind. He goes out of his way to even invite the guy in, tell him he's going to offer him a meal, which the man, if you can call him that, wisely avoids because then there will be no question as to whether or not he's on church property. So he denies that. And so say what you will, but even if it was a trick to bring him and lure him onto the property, um, 
that dude bothering people in a Sunday morning church probably could do with a little bit of time in a jail cell alone by himself reading the Bible that he mentions in his sign because it seems like he sure needs a little bit of that time to actually open it. But did you notice the subtle but crucial piece of evidence in the clip? I'll play it again for you just in case you missed it. I know what happens when I go in there, then I become uh, have subject you ever been to your, before? your... Yes, you have, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I know exactly who you are, bro. You don't think I remember who you are. So our friend here with the sign was actually arrested once before because he went inside the church on November 27th of 2016. And according to the arrest report, Hartford, the guy with the sign, was in the church telling people that God doesn't exist and that the Bible is a lie. So just a quick question. If it were you and this dude shows up at your church, not just once, but twice after being arrested this, the first time, how would you respond? So here's how the pastor in this case responds. Nobody here is paying any attention to your sign. Okay. I think I'm making a big uh, uh, demonstration. Did you see that? Tired. Never one, you don't have my permission to film me, so don't film can, me anymore. I can film you all I want. I said no, sir. Okay. Hey, no. Don't touch my stuff. Get off my property. I'm not on your property. Get off my property, dude. I'm not on your property. Listen, man, leave. Hey, Sarge, can you call a district car? I think we have a public uh, problem here right now with yeah. me and him. Hey, brother. Hey, come here and talk to me. Hey, how are you doing? Name I'm and good. badge number, please. You got an ID on you? Name and badge number. Elliot, 1099. What's your bet? What's your, where's your ID, bro? Uh, that's irrelevant. Have I committed a crime? Yeah, you're trespassing. You're refusing to leave, man. Uh, I'm on public property. This I mean, is on your own church property. Let me see your ID. This is a sidewalk. Let me see your ID. Need your ID or you're gonna go to jail. Um, this is a sidewalk. I don't know what you're talking about. Dude, I need your ID. Okay, okay. Maybe you're gonna give me your ID or you're gonna go to jail. Um, I'm not gonna give you my ID. I have no reason to. Put your arm behind your back. Now, I know this is a side note and probably beside the point, but it just makes sense, right? That a dude holding a ridiculous sign outside of a church on a Sunday would be wearing a mask, not on his nose and his mouth, but just barely around his mouth while he's standing outside by himself. But let's address the alleged assault here because, right, that's the big thing in question. I'm not sure if you're from the South and if you're watching this from an area of the South, but around here, we call them love taps. The pastor moved his camera out of the way twice. That's it. Last I checked, that's far from assault. But more importantly, the claim that the man was practicing his First Amendment right it was on, and was on a public sidewalk deserves a little bit of attention because this seems to make up the bulk of comments on this video with people saying things like, the pastor literally assaulted that man in front of that officer. And the genius keeps on going because somebody else said, if you swear an oath, to protect something, in this case, the Constitution, and then unlawfully kidnap someone, steal their property, and lock them in a cage, you deserve a horrible punishment. Now, these people didn't stop there. They also went over to the church's Google reviews, and without even ever have ste having stepped into the church, they started giving bad reviews to the church just simply based upon this one video and drove the church's rating way down on Google. So who's the bad guy here? I mean, that's kind of an initial question I have. The pastor in this viral video wants to stop a guy from harassing his people on a Sunday morning. Um, is he the bad guy or the dude that is harassing people on a Sunday morning and attacking the church online? 
Is he and they the bad guy or is the pastor the bad guy? So let me help you out if you need it. It's the dude with the sign. And I think it's worth mentioning here. If you watch the audit the audit video, you'll notice something conveniently odd. The commentator wants to talk about the law, but the speaker never goes into what rights the church has to worship without being harassed by an individual in and just outside of the property of the church. So shouldn't a churchgoer have the right to go to church without some annoying guy shoving a camera and a sign in your face? It's more important to ask this question than ever because pro-abortion groups have already begun to show up to churches on Sunday morning. And they're starting to gather together to discuss doing so more and more. So this needs to be something that we pay attention to. What right do churchgoers have and what rights do pastors have? Well, I'm glad you asked because I caught wind of some legal advice on the Matt Wall Show. And it's worth mentioning here. There's something called the FACE Act. And this is a federal law that was signed in the mid-90s by Bill Clinton. It was originally intended to protect abortion clinics, but because we believe in turning around what the devil meant for evil, it, it also gives people who own property and even those who don't the legal right to kick you off of property if they want to. They've, they've got a force field, as it were, that extends around the pop property, a protective bubble. And so if you're interfering with the services that that place provides, then you can legally kick them off, even if you don't own the property again. So the people who wrote the bill included also something else, a very small phrase in an attempt to not seem totally partisan, but it also makes it a federal crime to interrupt a church service. And it says that any person that is going to a worship service or seeking to worship that has someone that uses an object to intentionally obstruct, intimidate, or interfere with any person who is exercising or trying to exercise their First Amendment right of religious freedom at a place of religious worship is in violation of the law and can be sued. So I personally don't see how the protective bubble can't apply to churches here. Now again, originally for abortion clinics, so I don't see how it can't apply to churches, but even if it doesn't, Anyone seeking to intimidate or even interfere with your worship just broke a federal law and could, and could be sued by every single person who found the act of the protester intimidating and whatnot. But a second and more important point needs to be made here, even if this guy didn't do anything illegal outside this church, can't be sued, or is not in violation of the FACE Act. Just because you can do something doesn't mean it's decent. So there's a whole lot of things that are legal that you can do that still make you a low life. So the kind of soulless parasites that go into churches to, to accost innocent people and that stand outside of churches to protest and merely look for hosts gullible enough to feel sorry for them because they feed off these people, these kinds of people are the kinds of people that you can't engage in conversation. Uh, you can't talk to them because their flimsy ideals will never stand the weight of an adult conversation. These kind of people, they, they throw things in your face and they expect you to do nothing. And even if you do do something like move that thing out of your face, they act like LeBron or a sissy soccer player. They flop on the ground and they call foul when nothing even ever happened to them. That's these kind of people. They do all this because they prey upon people's better angels. They perceive, perceive virtue as a weakness and pounce all on people while forgetting what it means to be a good person. And look, I know Christians are especially uncomfortable when they hear the kind of language that I just used. And I assure you, I'm doing it very intentionally. Because the kind of people that show up outside of your church to protest with ridiculous signs 
or maybe even the kind of pro-abortion activists that show up to a Sunday morning service wearing a handmaid's tail costume. Um, these kind of people are not interested in hearing how much you love them or receiving a nice meal or you singing an acoustic worship song for them, even if it is Michael W. Smith. That's, that's not what they want to listen to. I mean, these are the kind of people who show up at the homes of Supreme Court justices and say, these people don't deserve a Saturday of peace until they do what I want. So I'm using my language very carefully to help wake us up from a sympathetic view of Christianity to rescue us back to a more biblical view of Christianity. So if we don't, we're no better than these guys who wish to interfere with people's rights to hear the gospel message and who want to throw false allegations at pastors to injure, injure and ruin their reputation. All of that moral dereliction escapes people like this, but it can't for us. The only cure for the kind of manipulation that I'm talking about here that wishes to prey upon the politeness of people, the only cure for that is confrontation. So Henry Evans and Calm Foster wrote a book called Step Up, and in it they posit a concept that I think is very useful here. It's called terminal politeness. They identify it as one of the biggest killers of any organization. It's the idea that unresolved conflict is eroding an organization from within. And the only cure for that organization and that unresolved conflict is to engage in healthy conflict where the problem is directly addressed head on. Um, and those harmful ideas are directly addressed. Only that kind of conflict will truly help terminal politeness. So the idea is this, unresolved and unhealthy ideas thrive in silence. So sure, you may not have done everything that the pastor did, and you're certainly welcome to critique it. But I just wanna challenge you. If you care about people, you don't merely ignore a man that wishes to take advantage of the politeness of people. That kind of politeness could be terminal for the man and for other people. And in order to make sure that we address things head on, we're gonna jump into our headlines. Let's do that now. So Chuck Schumer wants to create a federal nine-month abortion law, and he's doing so right now because he said that he wants to put everybody on blast, and he wants to make sure that everybody stands up and their pro-life views are accounted for now. Um, and so he's right now writing up and potentially going to try to pass through the Senate a law to um, secure a federal mandate that says abortion is legal up to nine months. And I said at the opener of the show, I don't know why you're stopping with nine months. Let's go on into 30 until we get those kids past the age of actually making messes. You know, let's just eradicate the problem um, and, and, and the financial burden these boogers bring into our life. So, um, so a couple of things I wanted to mention quickly about this, because I think this is uh, really telling of what the left thinks about Roe v. Wade more than what you're hearing in the news media. Because right there in this thing that Schumer's trying to do, he is showing us who the Democratic Party truly is. So, but before I, I comment on it, actually, let me just, let me show you a clip of Schumer talking about this. So here's him doing that. No longer an abstract exercise. This is the real deal and everyone's eyes are on them. So we can always hope and we must have this vote. Every senator must show where he or she stands. Okay, so two things I wanna say about this. First of all, this is pure political theater. I mean, you even hear it when he's talking. 
is that he just wants to make everybody stand up and be accounted for, and he wants everybody to go on record right now and to profess where they stand on this issue. This is an indication, one, that Democrats really think this is a winning issue. No, I hope it's not. I hope people are not foolish enough to be deceived by the sleight of hand magic trick here of how horrible the Democrats are at almost everything, Joe Biden chief among them, uh, so that they forget over here on the other side um, what they're trying to show you, uh, the Roe v. Wade thing. Um, so I said that wrong, but needless to say, I hope you don't forget the, the substantive issues that they've been dealing with over the past two years. I, I, because that's what they want you to do. They want to put Roe v. Wade in place of the complete failure, and they want to get you emotional, and they want you thinking emotionally. Um, and here is like the prime case of that. What they want to do is they just want people to feel threatened and to feel like you have to put on record now where you stand. Now, why is this so important, and why is this political theater? It's important to put this on the record and for people to stand up and be accounted for, according to Schumer, because he knows that this law is not going to pass. The point here is this is do you really think that your tax dollars should be going to a man that merely wants to play games with politics? Because that's all this is. Not substantive issues, not things that better your life, but merely to play games, political games, for political gamesmanship and for political gain. That's, that's what this is really all about. I'm not a Democrat, but if I was, I can at least tell you this. I would, I would be at the very least uh, disappointed by the fact that this is where my ta tax dollars are going so that these politicians can sit there and play games with each other to have peeing matches, if you will. But the second and most important thing about this is, is that I think this is very telling for us, and I hope we pay attention to this, especially if you're on the middle or if you are a Democrat and, on, and even on the left. I hope we're paying attention right now to what the Senate is doing. So they are actively, before even the Supreme Court justices can rule on Roe, they are actively trying to secure power now while they have it without your consent. So what they're trying to do is they're going to implement this mandate before it can go back to a state issue. And that's exactly what will happen with Roe v. Wade. I've said it too many times on the show to the point where I need to say it again, but I will. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion is not eliminated. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is state by state will make the decision as to what they do with, uh, with the issue, with abortion. So some states, especially blue states, LA is not going to have to worry about abortion. It's not going anywhere. If anything, it's going to ramp up. And then places like Florida, um, and, and cities in Florida, they're not going to have to worry about their tax dollars going to fund abortions because that's, those cities and state, they're going to, uh, they're going to continue to uh, promote uh, life causes. So, so this is just going to go back to a state issue if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And then those people in those states can finally make those decisions. What Chuck Schumer is trying to do is to take that decision away from you. He's trying to take power away from the people and put it into the hands of the federal government. Now, I don't know if you're okay with that, but I would just encourage you to remember some of the rhetoric of fascism on the right when we are thinking about this issue, because this is certainly, it's not going to pass, but this is certainly revealing the fascist tendencies of the left who is not interested in state rights, but is ultimately interested in securing power for the federal government. But this is the point. Is Roe v. Wade for them is not about women. It's certainly not about babies. It's not about reproductive health. All that is talking points. This is really about power for the federal government. They want it and they will do whatever it takes to get it. 
it's only sad that it will cost the lives of babies if they finally get their way. Thankfully, they, they probably won't. But, but don't let them showing their true colors pass you by. I think it's important for us to understand that, uh, especially as their kind of harmful rhetoric, as it could be called, is genning up conflict in front of the houses of Supreme Court justices. And by the way, it's spilling out over beyond the houses of the Supreme Court justices, and it's also going to the doorstep of Nancy Pelosi. So here's our next headline. Pro-choicers picket Pelosi's house, claim Democrats are complicit in the potential overhaul of Roe v. Wade. Now, before I dig into the article at all, I just want to simply make a statement. Um, there's a term, poetic justice. Uh, this term was coined by Thomas Reimer in the 17th century, and it was it's the idea that a work of literature should uphold moral principles and instruct the reader in correct behavior. So it is poetic justice that the left's rhetoric is right now being used against them. They tried to implement uh, and tried to convince us that it is only moral and only constitutional that women should be able to terminate the life in their womb. Um, and then re the rhetoric associated with that has ginned up uh, a bunch of emotions. And so now those emotions are showing up at the House of Pelosi. So um, a couple things about that. I, I somehow bet you're going to hear a little less strong rhetoric from Democrats. Something tells me that when protesters start showing up at their house, that they're probably gonna kind of pare it back a little bit. So they asked for protests and they got it. Uh, and the third but most important point is, is this. One of the protesters outside the house said this, quote, quote, Hillary Clinton, who started the whole thing, like abortion should be legal, but rare, as if abortion is a tragedy, the protester declared. We are here to say abortion is a basic right, a basic human right. And without this right, women are basically enslaved. And we will not stand for it. So I'm just gonna say, you told a generation of young people that they have the right, the constitutional right, the moral right to eliminate their, their pregnancies. And so here we are listening to the most logically incoherent arguments at this stage in the game as they've evolved. I mean, these things are so detached from reality, like women have a constitutional right to abort their baby. Like for the record, there is nothing in the constitution that grants a woman the right to an abortion. But that talking point has left a generation of people thinking they have the right to murder another human being uh, because of my body, my choice. So these people have heard the delusions of the left and now they're following them to their logical conclusion. So should we be surprised that from them, uh, they have these radical ideas? Like for example, let me just kind of give this to you. So the, the message used to be in another area of thought, it used to be, you're beautiful just the way you are. Feel comfortable in your own skin. Now the message is, as a matter of fact, rebel against the patriarchy by destroying the body you were born in. Tell children at the youngest age possible that they can decide what biological sex they are because of a false construct called gender that we've created. And then based upon that, go participate in bodily mutilation that will permanently injure you and alter your life forever. I mean, the radical talking points do have an ultimate logical conclusion. Here we are. What did we think allowing this kind of foolishness would do? Did we think we could just attend our churches on Sunday and pretend it doesn't exist and that that would be enough to improve our world? Well, quite frankly, that's what we did. And here we are. And so now the safe, legal, and rare crowd 
which might have been at least an intelligible position, a good starting point, has totally changed their rhetoric to create a radical generation that's now showing up outside of your house and saying you're the evil ones. So you created the monster, you fed it, and you're responsible for it. So the only messaging I'm curious about now is, have you had enough? Are you ready, leftists, to confront dangerous ideas with whatever fluence you can muster? And certainly Christians, we'd better be well beyond that point. Because by the way, Pride Month is coming around and the trans movement has reached a catalytic place in America and it will be all over the place, especially in light of what Florida is doing to fight back. And so the reverberations in our next headline of that fight uh, can be felt at a local high school in Longwood, Florida. So the AP is making a national story of the fact that a Florida school yearbook is on hold because it contained protest photos of students. So a school in Longwood, Florida had a walkout over the parental rights and education bill. So students uh, planned a walkout and then there were pictures taken of that walkout. And then those pictures were then published within the yearbook of the school. And those yearbooks are now censoring those photos. So. Before we jump into that, I want to just be really clear because the talking point is going to be that they're censoring the photos because the photos have great gay pride flags and that kind of thing. But to be sure, this yearbook can still be used as a propaganda tool to bring people into the pride camp of the LGBTQIA plus ad infinitum group. So, um, and it says this in the article, so quote, the principal noted that the yearbook dedicates a separate page to the school's Gay Straight Alliance Club and elsewhere shows students at a pride march and holding rainbow flags. He said those depictions do comply with the policy. So in other words, all of those images of pride flags and gay representation, that's perfectly fine even in the supposed don't say gay bill, Florida, uh, with this yearbook. So they can put all of that in the yearbook. The one thing they can't do though is they cannot put political activism that was engaged in by the students in a school yearbook. So in other words, we'll use it for gay pride propaganda, but we cannot use it for your activist, you know, uh, tendencies and your activism outside of and even on uh, school property during school hours. That's, that's not what this yearbook is for. Now, I, I venture to, to wonder too, probably the most important point for me, uh, and the hypocrisy of all of this, I venture to wonder if there is a place for the Christian club uh, and all of their Christian imagery and scripture verses and all of those things in the yearbook. But of course, it's perfectly fine to put the gay pride stuff in, in the yearbook. So I want to make sure that you understand the controversy has nothing to do with gay pride imagery and has everything to do with the fact that a school cannot endorse the activism of individual students. But I'll tell you what, let's be totally fair. And let's just say this. You don't get to put any of your gay pride stuff on the yearbook if I don't get to put any of my Christian stuff on the yearbook. Now, I'll say the opposite. You want your gay pride stuff on there? Well, then let's use that book also as an opportunity to proliferate the gospel message of Jesus. Now, the reason they're not going to stand for that is because they ultimately are hypocrites. That's why I want them to define the word hypocrite. And so the reason I say they need to define the word hypocrisy is just simply this is they want everyone to care about their preferences, but they could care less about other people's preferences. That's why, oddly enough, what I would advocate for is not pure libertarianism here where everybody gets to put everything in their yearbook. That's, that's not a workable solution. Keep it, keep it all out. Yes, even the religious stuff. And then have personal conversations with people. Because the opposite of that, 
brings us to this place where we are culturally, where everybody thinks that their preferences deserve a publication, where everybody thinks that their preferences are more important than other people's preferences. But this is what happens when we have this kind of jockeying for position, this almost libertarian thing, I would say, of put my preferences on this page and my preferences on this page. How about we just go back to the place where we took a more conservative approach to these things and we just said, nobody gets their preferences. Put pictures of the kids in there and that's it. And things that are totally relevant to the school, otherwise, be quiet. Because I think the, the result of all of that is creating a generation of spoiled, rotten little brats that think everything they think is important and deserves attention rather than putting them in the crucible or in the testing place of having to discuss those ideas in a private way and then allowing those ideas to be scrutinized, even critiqued. And if they can stand the critique and the scrutiny, then rising above to the place where other people should hear them. No, rather, we want to demand that everybody listen to us. And it's just not a workable solution. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. So Eric Metaxas is a Christian author, theologian, and a Christian historian, wrote a book about uh, many historical figures in, in the church, um, William Wilberforce, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, among others. Uh, so somebody that I've enjoyed uh, listening to many times in the past. And he just recently wrote an article that responded to a Christianity Today article that was written by Russell Moore. Now, Russell Moore is a prominent, was a prominent leader in the SBC and is a leader over at Christianity Today with Theological Projects. Now, uh, I think it's important that these two prominent guys are kind of facing off head to head. And so uh, I wanted you to hear at least Eric Metaxas's writing to Russell Moore, because I think there's really some redemptive and important things for us to kind of grapple with. So here's that. The idea that judging others says something about us expressed in the idea that pointing a finger at someone results in three fingers pointing back at us seemed perfectly apt when last month Christianity Today published an essay by Russell Moore titled the cross contradicts our culture war. So already here we see that Russell Moore is fighting against what he perceives as culture war Christianity. Now I've done some things on this in the past, but suffice to say culture war Christianity is the idea that Christians should be engaged and involved in speaking about things of public interest, of civic interest, if you will. And uh, so Russell Moore is decrying this. Eric Metaxas is obviously very involved in doing this. Uh, so Eric Metaxas wants to respond to this. Now, before we get into uh, more of the article, I just want to simply say this. I think one of the things that I've talked about often on the show that I think bears repeating is the idea of being judgmental. Like, um, the, the, the Bible means something different than we mean it when we say don't judge or don't be judgmental, don't judge me. In fact, the kind of thing that we mean the Bible did very often and encourages us to do. The Apostle Paul said, a spiritual man judges all things. So do we judge right and wrong? Yes. Do we judge good and bad, fact and fiction, truth and false? Yes. If you're a moral person, if you're a good person, you're going to have to do that. So you certainly do make judgments and assessments about the truth of something and whether or not something is truly biblical or not. And you don't worry about risking somebody's feelings when you say, hey, what you're talking about um, is not Christian. Um, and, and we use judgmentalism just simply as a cudgel to kind of get people back into, 
into shape. Like, we don't want you to talk about homosexuality. Quit being judgmental. That All that is is a way to shut down conversation, actually, than rather to speak openly about what Christians actually believe about issues. So, um, so I, I think the idea of judgmentalism starting at the front of this probably is kind of a side note um, and probably just needs to be dismissed um, summarily, but I think that ultimately is what Eric Metaxas will do here as he kind of engages in the ideas of Russell Moore. So uh, the, the article goes on. It was a masterwork of condescension and unintentional irony, helpfully explaining that if you politically disagree with the author, you were guilty of missing the whole idea of the gospel and at Easter. And not just that, but you were being nakedly self-serving and merely political too. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? So if in advocating for the unborn or if for religious liberty or for the constitution, you believed you were bringing your Christian faith into the public square for the general good, Moore was here to correct that, to patiently explain that people like you are merely culture warriors brawling in a vulgar effort to advance your own carnal self-interest and that of your tribalist group. But the tagline below the article tells us more. Quote, the victory of Christ was worn by crucifixion, not by social conquest, end quote. Again, those who would fight for the unborn or for free speech and transparent elections or for freedom of speech or against anti-biblical ideologies working to destroy their children are actually just conquistadors in it for themselves and their jug-headed tribe. So I've talked about Tim Keller before and Russell Moore actually um, on the show just, just last week because they had an engagement together and actually somewhat agreed with something that Tim Keller had to say about this issue and almost totally disagreed with Russell Moore. I did totally disagree with everything Russell Moore had to say. Uh, but suffice to say, you get, you get the impression here that what's at stake is that Russell Moore wants to shut you up and if you don't, you're a bad person. And uh, I guess we should only speak about the things that he considers uh, worthwhile to to speak about. And then he's going to paint that with religious language so that we can try to feel somehow condemned for, for doing so. And so the real question at the end of the day is regardless of the ad hominem of Russell Moore is does his point have any weight to it? And so I'm just going to go ahead and just simply tell you that no, it does not. That we absolutely believe that the division between the secular and the sacred is not as clear as some would have us believe. And so in other words, we think that the church is relegated to this area of life and then everything else over here. Well, that distinction is almost completely made, by, made up by culture. Um, and, and, and really, if you are a Christian and you're really following out your faith, then what you will do is you'll think about how your faith integrates into every area of your life. And politics at its best in particular is really not just left versus right. That's, that's really not what politics is. It turns out to be that very often in the culture, but, it, but it's not that. And by the way, for my libertarian friends, we'll include you somewhere in the mix of all of that. But, but it's not left versus right. It's, it's not Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. Like, I think we know the answer to that, right? We gave it. Uh, but I say that just as an example to say that it's po politics at its best is actually philosophy in action. Politics at its best is how do we take principles and then apply them in a real world way in which we can create a society based upon those principles that allows us to live together. This is why I go on record as saying politics, if done the right way, is merely just love of neighbor. Really politics integrated is 
the, the dictation of how we live among each other and how we react and interreact, interrelate to each other. This is why I say politics could have a very clear Christian overlap. Um, and so I don't think that there is this clear kind of like, don't be political, just to be, just preach the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is God's truth. And doesn't God possess all truth? Don't we think all truth belongs to God? And so there is not a clear distinction between what, what Russell Moore is, is trying to, to create here between Christianity and culture. But I'll also go on record as saying this. He is right that culture wars have fueled the fight for power and people that have lost power are interested in regaining it. So this is where he talks about resentment. So people like me long for Christians to have a place of power in secular society. And that is because I care about my brothers and sisters who have yet to come to faith and I want to reach them with the truth and culture is an avenue through which I can reach people. So yes, I want platforms with cultural power. They're better in our hands than in the enemy's hands. Also, I'm desperate to wrench power away from those like Russell Moore who do not deserve platforms that reach large audiences. So like, listen to me here, like PewDiePie, Russell Moore is yet another vestige of our secular society that tell people what they want to hear and then they collect a large audience. But it doesn't mean that just because you have a large audience that you deserve that platform. That's why we should create platforms that wrench secular power out of the hands of those that don't deserve it. And for that reason, Russell Moore and the distinction between culture and Christianity, it doesn't represent Christianity. And that's why I say to you, sir, not today. All right, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.